0: Welcome back to the Longest Battle podcast. This week, I'm meeting Heather Mills. Heather met my dad when she was working as a swimwear model. I bet she could never have guessed about where her life would take her. From losing her leg to becoming internationally famous across the world. I'm very pleased to say that Heather Mills is joining me to do the Longest Battle podcast. I'm very pleased to say that here today is Heather Mills. Thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank Lovely you. to be
1: here. Thank you.
0: I know. So where did you grow up, Heather?
1: Um, well, I, you would think that I was born in Newcastle with my Geordie accent, but yeah. I was actually born and could have been really posh in order shop. Okay. My dad was in the army and um, so he was moved up north when I was two, which was great because I love it up there. And he went to prison when I was, uh, well, my mum left when I was nine and then cause my dad was really abusive. And then my okay. um, dad went to prison, not because of abuse, because he it was fraud and he thought he was a reincarnation of Richard Wagner, the opera composer. And oh then my mum turned up. I hadn't seen her for three four years. And that's how I ended up coming back down to London. When oh, I was wow. a teenager. Yeah. And then I didn't last long with her either. So I ran away and lived on the streets when I was a teenager for about six months. Oh, my goodness. And then um, got a job in a croissant shop. And they said you can eat as many croissants as you like. <laughs> and because I was a skinny, raky thing, they didn't realize I'd eat 20 a day. So I got fired after a week. <laughs> right. Okay. And that's when I decided to basically never work for anyone again. Uh-huh. And started my own first business, which was stick on bras. Oh really? Is mm. it? Okay. How did you meet my
0: dad? How
1: <laughs> did you actually meet my dad? Basically, years later, I I was dating a guy, my first boyfriend, and he'd put an application for me to be in the Daily Mirror competition. Right. Um, the Dream Girls Swimwear competition and I knew nothing about it. I didn't want to be a model or anything. Yeah. And um, he basically had gave them in those days it was the telephones. we didn't have mobile phones but, you know in the early 80s yeah and the phone rang and it said uh you've got into the final of the mirror dream girl competition and I was like I haven't entered a competition <laughs> and I looked and my boyfriend went uh and I went what have you done <laughs> and I said so tell me about this model in malarkey so they said you know you do this you do that and I thought mm. and by that time I'd had a few businesses I was important Different things um, from a young age, and I thought, "Oh, that means I could do a bit of that modelling stuff and get to travel the world for free mm-hmm. and create more contacts." Yeah. And um, long story short, how I met your dad was that Slick Swimwear needed a, a swimwear fitting model. Yeah. And so I did that, coming back and forwards from when I was then working in the former Yugoslavia because the war had broke out when I was on a trip out there another long story so yeah that's how I met your dad through through swimwear oh
0: wow okay
1: yeah.
0: and were you quite um, as a model were you
1: quite a big model no or, um... not at all not yeah. at all I only got the tag like Heather the model when I lost my leg so I was just your basic fittings model and I'd done a couple of commercials but I wasn't you know a supermodel. I I didn't have the height yeah um, my boobs were too big um, I was a real shape at that time, yeah. um, and they were looking for scrawny sticks and things on um, on commercials. Obviously, that's come a long way, mm, thankfully. Yeah. But so when I lost my leg, I, they just tagged me with Heather the model. And mm-hmm. so they didn't do their research and say, actually, it's Heather the businessman that used a bit of modeling to do things. Yeah. So so no, basically, I was never a big model, but I became a big name after the accident on yeah, were the tagline of being a model. That's what happened afterwards. My goodness! But yeah. years later, I did become a name and was on the billboards in Broadway for Macy's and stuff. But it was always for charity. Okay. So my money when I um, was doing that would after September 11 and things like that. Yeah. We did a big campaign for Macy's, and that was on every bus stop.
0: Yeah, around
1: America. And so I eventually ended up on big billboards, but not when I was younger.
0: Mm. So tell me about losing your leg. Tell me about what happened and how how it had the pain or what happened.
1: Um, Well, my mother lost her leg at the same age as me, which was bizarre. Mm. And they reattached it because that's what surgeons were trained to do. And if it's absolutely devastated, it's normally best to amputate, especially with the prosthetics we've developed. When I lost my leg, the, the prosthetics were awful. But I was working in the war in the former Yugoslavia after being there on a ski holiday with my husband at the time's ex-wife and kids, as you do. Right. I found out a lot about him and then eventually left and came back, crossed the street. And a police motorcycle chopped my leg off, crushed my pelvis, punctured my lung. Oh, Apparently, yeah. it was going to a false alarm at Princess Diana's house. Oh. And um, and then the police authority sued me, uh, even though I wasn't going to sue them. So that was quite a shock. And I found that that's what they were told to do in preparation for me suing them, which I was never going to do. I thought it's an accident. So oh. I had a four or five year legal battle yeah. with them. And um, while I was in the hospital for five months... I um, was in charge of my whole family. You know, they, they were dependent on me financially. I didn't have a mum and dad around. Yeah. And so I had to, you know, put my thinking cap on and the media turned up. They wanted the story. I then turned that story into a book, which helped fund all of the mine clearance in the former Yugoslavia mm-hmm. and um, did a lot of work from from my hospital bed. Mm. Um, they said to my best mate, who you've just met, Ruth. Been with me 35 oh, years. wow. Oh, cool. Yeah. I didn't
0: realize that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: brilliant. So she was told four times she's going to die. You better go and say goodbye. So uh, it was pretty horrific for her. Yeah. And I'd asked her to send off and cancel my private health insurance that I'd had since I was um, about 18. Because when I did get married, I lost six babies. I had four miscarriages and two ectopic pregnancies and was told I could never have kids again. Uh, and she forgot to post the letter so we were in the Mount Vernon hospital yeah and I had the luxury of being put into a private room because she'd forgotten to post the letter and it's the only time she's been inefficient in 35 years and I'll always thank her for it (laughs) oh wow so yeah (laughs) so basically in the hospital and um infection kept going in my leg chopping it off more and more and more and um, my basically girlfriend came in and said you gotta go vegan and I was like what vegan Schmegan? what is that (laughs) And took me off to America. And I healed within two weeks and never turned back. You went very vegan after you lost your leg. I yeah. i just, re- <laughs> just re- um, reiterate what you just said. <laughs> I went vegan yeah. because when I lost my leg, I was in hospital. Yeah. had an infection and they kept chopping my leg off more and more. And I didn't want to lose my knee. Yeah. And I'd crushed my pelvis and punctured my lung. So you have to lie flat on your back. And yeah. I just started to be able to get mobile. So my friend... Took me off to a place called Hippocrates in West Palm Beach. And they shoved me wow. through all these disgusting wheatgrass juice and all sorts of horrible yeah. things. And my whole leg just closed and healed in but two that weeks. Worked. That, it totally that worked. It totally worked. That worked. Five That's months amazing. on antibiotics in the hospital, nothing. Yeah. And two weeks on a pure, clean diet, I was healed. Oh my goodness, that's um, a big thing for no. anyone out there who might be listening. That, yeah. you know, to get
0: through that, so that's amazing, actually. Yeah. So, did you have trauma after the event of when you lost your leg? Well, I did
1: on my body, but not in my mind because I'd worked mm. in the war in the former Yugoslavia and I'd seen horrific things and I'd been homeless. And, you know, it's about everyone can handle certain things, but it's usually about what you've had to handle from from youth upwards. So yeah. I've never had a normal, stable, you know, loving family or a nice life or anything. So by the time I came to lose my leg, mm. you end up getting used to just nightmares happening, but it means you cherish when the great things happen even more. Yeah. And yeah. some people have, you know, their life on a steam train and it's nice and smooth, but it's pretty boring. Mm. And others have... Roller coasters and I have the giant roller coasters, <laughs> so it's just how it is. Yeah,
0: yeah. And um, my granddad actually lost his leg and he ended up having phantom limb syndrome.
1: I remember your dad telling me that, yeah. actually. Yeah.
0: Is it some, is that, did that happen to you? It or? happens to
1: everybody. It is, is it? All it is is if you imagine your nerve endings are used to communicating with the whole body. Yeah. If you sever them, they are going crazy, wondering how they can connect to something. Mm. So they start to diminish. Years later, unless you're overactive, which I am, (laughs) then you get phantom pains quite a lot. What I've found is if you wrap your limb um, in really, really warm um, hot water bottles and towels and things. This guy came up with a brilliant invention of a a heated sock, which I used a lot when I was ski racing because extreme cold and extreme heat um, does things. um, But he never got that to market because it was too expensive. But acupuncture is brilliant, homeopathy, mm-hmm. uh, massage. Okay. So when you lose your limb initially, most people and I've counseled thousands. We have mm-hmm. the Heather Mills Amputee Forum where I'll help one person, and then they've got a pledge that if someone loses a limb in their area, they must help counsel them to, oh, wow. to overcome it. Because I can, I can't do you know more than three or four <laughs> a day, and especially <laughs> with all the businesses and things. So yeah. we've been doing that for. 20 years now and it's it's absolutely fantastic because I've got a below knee I don't know what it's like to be above knee I know everything about the mechanics because I've developed most of the prosthetics with my team that you see around the world um but if I've lost an arm how would I know what it was like to lose an arm so with phantom pains they're definitely real um you can definitely help them but by massage and when you first lose your limb and if you're not as um, overly confident as I am, well, I'll just take my leg off anywhere in a bar and just go, can you give my leg a rub yeah. to whoever's sitting next to me? Um, <laughs> most people are not like that. Yeah. And that's why people forget I'm disabled because I'm so comfortable with my disability. And mm-hmm. I was like that from the beginning because um, yeah. it's just a it's just a limb. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Um, I would suggest anyone that loses their limb get your your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your best mate, your to kids, anyone, you through, to, yeah. just to give you a good massage. And um, that means the limb is be- feeling like it's connected to something. And it also makes your family feel useful because yeah. they're devastated and yeah. they have to put on a brave face and they feel like, what can I do? So give them something to do.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely. And um, my dad said you had the best legs in the business. And I imagine when you actually went through something like this how how do you how did it make you feel and how did you get over all of that
1: well yeah I mean I've still got one really good leg that I work on but um it is harder when you've when you've lost a leg because when you lose a leg you get atrophy and so it means because you haven't got the full connection of the leg you can't do leg extensions in the gym Mm. if you see any amputees without you know trousers on just in shorts you can see that one let's imagine one's like a thumb and the other's like a a finger yeah and so you always have one leg skinnier than the other Mm -hmm. now my amputated leg is massively strong but it's got no big muscles in it yeah so I do a lot of work on my right to compensate and um and I do miss obviously having it's been quite a while now having the legs that I had because I used to do all sorts of stocking commercials and swimwear commercials and things like that. But they're just legs. And I managed to develop and make some unbelievable prosthetics. Mm -hmm. And that's why you can see today I've got these tights on. And most people (laughs) wouldn't know I've got one leg because I've got my five inch heels on. and, and, And the reason I can do that is because I develop them to to make them available to everybody with the team
0: yeah yeah yeah. and
1: also I've got a really strong core so the most important thing when you get any disability it's Mm -hmm. important when you're able-bodied which is a funny terminology because I have to hold up all my two-legged friends when we go out on a Friday night for a drink and that's (laughs) not because they're drunk it's because they can't blow and walk in high heels (laughs) and here's me with one leg holding them all up in five inches But that's because you have to have a very strong core. Mm. So if anybody's lost a limb out there, and even if they haven't, the most important part of your entire body to walk well and to be really healthy is your core inside and outside. So digestion with regards to good food and also with regards to strength. You can see a guy with a six pack and I go in the gym with him and he's dead in two minutes. That's just body fat. That's (laughs) nothing. Everyone's got a six pack when you strip them away. Um, And you can see a guy that's got a belly like um, Pavarotti, you know, and they're amazingly strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So it's not about the visual look of how strong something is. So everybody should really just be focusing on being strong from the inside. Inside.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's very true. So tell me about your friends and family. Like you said, you've got Ruth who's around. Tell me a bit about what you've been through. It sounds like you've been through an awful lot that I didn't even have a clue about where you grew up and all that sort of stuff yeah and I
1: mean I think that's probably what set me up to be able to cope <laughs> with things that happened so mm. you know my mum obviously left and then she came back but then she died when she was 47 because she had bad blood circulation from her leg because it reattached her leg years before which yeah. is known now to be quite problematic and she died in the Middlesex hospital um from a blood clot that went in her heart and lungs and um, so she was 47, and her mum before her had died young, so everyone was like, oh, God, is Heather going to get past 47? So now I'm 52, I've kind of <laughs> passed the mark. Good. <laughs> um, and I've got uh, a brother, two sisters, mm. and some really, really good close friends. Yeah. And my best mate is Ruth, who has worked with me forever. Um, She came into me to... Actually, she she actually modelled to fill in for me when I couldn't get back for your dad. Oh, okay. um, For the swimwear. Yeah. Um, She did a couple of... swimwear sessions for me so your dad has met her if you just mentioned Ruth Matthews you probably remember her. yeah she was loud at the time she's not now she <laughs> and just she looks like um like Halle Berry she's absolutely gorgeous but we we're like Tweedledum and Tweedledee yeah. you know I'll I'll go into something and say right I'm gonna do ski racing now and she's like oh god do I have to learn to ski and I'm like yeah <laughs> and now she's a ski instructor you know so every time I do something she is just Right behind me. Is she supporting. like your family. And, she is yeah. like she's That's my so, so, so nice th- to have that behind you. She is my soul Visions sister. For- she's amazing. So yeah. I look after her, and she looks after me. Yeah,
0: cool. So tell me what you do now. So you've got so many businesses. Oh, have going you got on. about ten hours?
1: <laughs> so, so I would say I problem solve. Right. So <clears throat> what I can't stand is hearing people whinge and moan, and they've got no solution. So they just spend all their energy complaining and what mm. i do is focus that energy harness it and work on finding a solution so yeah. rather than sitting frustrated about something so for example okay when i'm homeless i've got to get a job i didn't like working for people so i need to start mm. a business how am i going to start a business how am i going to do this then I did modeling. Then I found there were a lot of bad sides to modeling. Models couldn't commit to being really professional because they weren't paid every week. So I set up a model agency that became Excel and I paid them every week and I got the banks to finance it. The wow. models all came to us. Yeah. Um. Ran that for a few years and, and sold it and was known for, you know, all the models that were going into, you know, Topshop and Burton Group and this and that. Mm. I would send three models. The other agency would send 20 and waste the casting director's time. So I found ways, whenever you're doing anything in business or in life, it's like, what's the solution? So that resolved that, that became, you know, successful. Then the war, um, landmines blowing up everywhere. They weren't disappearing. So I said, well, why don't you make the manufacturers rich, but the, the civilians safe? How did you end up into the Yugoslavia stuff? Went on holiday with the um, ex-husband's ex-wife and kids because I was a step and right. helped her out every weekend. Um, and then you ended
0: up in the landmine.
1: And then and then the basically fell in love with skiing, fell out of yeah. love with him, found out things, and left and worked there. And then the war broke out, oh, so um, okay. I then was taking trucks back and forwards for a few years from. England Ah. to Ljubljana and then down into Zagreb in Croatia and um and ended up working in the war for a few years didn't lose a leg weirdly and then came back and lost my leg in England so when people say oh my god aren't you worried about ski racing at 166 kilometers and I went no I worked in a war zone not a scratch and I lose my leg back in England so um with what we're doing now scroll it forward, was when I lost my leg and became vegan, I was raw vegan for a couple of years and really healed myself. But being raw vegan in England... When it's cold, is really, really hard, number one. Number two, as you get older and you have potentially less hydrochloric acid in your stomach, you can't break down all that fiber without getting a lot of gas and bloat, especially when prior to that, you've stuffed your face with meat and dairy, your whole colon is putrefied. So um, I started to say, right, we need to create some products that are more easily digestible but are still vegan that are still fast food, but they're healthier fast food. They're mm-hmm. still fast food because you can't, unless someone's ill or cares about animals, the environment, you can't get a, a Burger King um, addicted person straight to, you know, bean yeah. salads and they can't necessarily digest it either. So we replicated um, all of the fast food out there and I kept trying to get investment from people, but they all just thought I was nuts and said, "What is this vegan craziness in the, you know, the mid '90s?" So at I, it now <laughs> it took 26 years, but finally people are waking up. Yeah. It's the millennials and the younger generation that are really smart and jumping on it. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I need to start making these products. I made 139 of them. Mm. I made them in, with a soy base and then a pea protein base, and then a coconut base, an algae base, a mushroom base, and an oat base. All different pricing. So they were all ready for when the hockey stick effect happened, which yeah. happened two years ago. For years, we could only put out um, soy and pea protein because that's all the supermarkets would pay for. Now with Brexit and the nightmares going on around the world, we have been training farmers because I want to make sure the farmers can get out the dairy industry and make actual money from growing plants and algaes and oats and things. So I've been working with farmers And then they can provide the procurement, so there's no more import on ingredients, keep coming from China. And then we make it into products, uh, about 600,000 square feet of manufacturing facilities in Newcastle, because nobody has invested in huge scale. So they've tripped themselves up, they've started with like the big companies in making some plant-based options, mm. not particularly well, unfortunately. But then they've got supply chain issues because you really can only grow at scale in a 100% plant-based facility. And most of the products people are eating at the moment outside of ours of any scale are made in mixed facilities. So you've always got that cross-contamination okay. risk. So I knew this would be the Achilles heel and the way that we couldn't get, dominated because we were a family business and then the good thing about the vegan movement coming is it's going to help change the world the bad movement is that all the small companies are going to get squashed by the big ones yeah so i said let's group all the small companies together put them under one roof i'll help scale them up it become plant-based valley we can also private label for all the other companies so that um, so that's it's what you've in a been working on. <laughs> 100% plant-based facility. So, wow. yeah, we're literally working seven days a week, you know, 20 hours a day at the moment. Amazing. It's
0: mad. You're seriously busy. <laughs> so with everything, all the issues that you've been through, what do you think has been the hardest thing that you've had to deal with?
1: I would say I would say, at the time it was the media, if my whole life, because when you dedicate your life to charity and donating you know, most of your resources and trying to make a difference. And then you go through that kind of abuse for 17 years. That was injustice is the thing that gets me, you know, and and there's so many powerful abusive people out there that get away with it just because mm. they're powerful. So that's changed. I won the biggest libel case in history um, last August against Murdoch's group. Oh, wow. And I kept some of the criminal evidence aside so that they can't, you know, come after me again with all the lies and the rubbish. And um and I you know, and, and there's been a shift in life now that, that women can't just be, you know, abused and shut and pushed in a corner and men as well. You yeah. know, there are some very abusive, powerful women out there. But it's percentage wise, it's there's many more men, you know, when you analyse the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So, um so no, it was a it was a huge fight and we won in the end and what mm. I would say to anybody out there is is you know you will get sick if you accept abuse. That's why I believe a lot of people get cancer and all sorts of stuff. Mm. And whether it's abuse in the house or whether it's abuse from a staff colleague or, or the media or anything like that, mm. um you need to stand up for yourself and you need to get away from that abuse. Yeah. Um and and whatever the cost is. And I'm really, really glad that I did. Yeah. So
0: how did you cope with the high profile that your life kind of took um, after your accident and
1: things like that? How did you cope with it all after the high profile of the media and everything? To be honest, when I was lying in bed and I suddenly thought, oh, gosh, how am I going to make a living to fund the family? Because we had no parents around. And the media wanted a story, so I said, "Okay, um, if you give this much money to charity, and because you know I was, they were all relying on on my funds, and we'd already you know started helping prosthetics in the war zones, and so I built a relationship. And in those days, there were some really good editors around who had really solid beliefs about real journalism and making a difference with their power. Things have changed, unfortunately, a lot, and also they've been put under a lot of pressure to create gossip. And then the end consumer has become a very gossipy person rather than a making a, a make any difference. Mm. They spend their life voyeuristically looking at other people's lives rather than getting on with it. Yeah, yeah. So I suppose um, I basically, what was the question again? I've gone <laughs> off <now. I've> just <laughs> how did gone. you
0: cope with your, the high profile? Technology? Oh, how did, how did I, how how
1: I suppose? So, so I cope with it because it hmm. was actually. Cathartic when I was in the hospital bed, um, that I could tell my story and make money for the charities. So I started off with the media in a very positive way, yeah. and I had honest press from '93 to '99, and um, and then I was asked to write a book, and that was in '96, mm-hmm. and that became a bestseller. So that was called Out on a Limb for Little Brown. And okay. all that money went to fund the charities. Yeah. So it was Heather overcomes adversity, positive role model, yeah. da da da. And then when I got married, it all went downhill because they went, oh, it's all right that this one-legged woman's overcome her disability, but she can't possibly marry an icon, even mm. though he chased me for six months. But anyway, <laughs> from because I wouldn't talk about it, and before I'd always talked about everything. Yeah. Because I didn't need to be private. But if you marry someone famous, you've got to be private. Um, So I was private. And then they didn't like it. And new editors had come in. And some some very bitchy women editors, unfortunately. Mm. And they just decided to target me and destroy the charities and destroy everything. Yeah. Without any consideration of the responsibilities that I had. That Mm. by destroying me, in turn, thousands of lives were affected. Yeah. So I think that's what was the most difficult thing was that by me not being able to do the role that I'd created with the Mm -hmm. biggest landmine clearing charity in the world and everything, and by them destroying it, I knew that people were dying and suffering off the back of that. And their one-hit wonder um, lines basically uh, meant more to them than making a difference. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so... um, Okay. That was the that was probably the hardest yeah. thing.
0: Do you have highs and lows yourself? Do you do no, no Which is
1: really weird. Yeah. Uh um, my boyfriend always says to me, Why are you not because life's calm and easy yeah. now? I had some highs and lows when I was going through all the hell in the media, definitely. It was mm. like why do people who try and do good things and make a difference get punished? And why do people who are greedy and manipulative benefit and things like that? And then I started to realize now, and I would say this to anyone going through crap at the moment, is it is so bizarre how something horrible can happen to you that brings about great change. So what I realize now is if I hadn't lost my leg, there wouldn't be 400,000 people walking around now with prosthetic limbs and clearing 21 million square meters of minefield land potentially. And then if I hadn't been abused by the media... I wouldn't have started um, with all the information and the research and everything to work with the hacked off campaign to bring 90 class actions to justice, you know? So, and then the exposure of the powerful people (coughs) destroying people's lives wouldn't have come to, to head. And if I hadn't lost my leg, I wouldn't be vegan. And now there wouldn't be this huge vegan company that's feeding people to help people to do this, to do that. So anyone that's going through absolute hell, just try and dig really deep mm, and yeah. work out how are you going to turn this into a positive? How are you going to reflect as I am now at 52 and go, wow, okay. I I mean, literally Ruth, my best mate, makes me look when we're having nuts days and goes, you know this is this is amazing. How how yeah. did we even get here? How did this happen, you know? Do you believe in fate, would you say? I do. 100%. <laughs> I met my boyfriend on a train and he'd missed the train before and was fuming he'd missed the train. And he said it was the best missed train he'd ever had in his life. Yeah. Um so I do believe and and I, I think everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. It's and you, you're also given paths and it's your choice.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. which path
1: you take, and and I also believe in a lot of luck. You know, some people just have really bad luck. They do. It doesn't matter what they do; you're just constantly bad luck. But you have to look at. You might have bad luck in your personal life, but you've got a lovely family, Mm -hmm. or you've got a great business. So it's about nobody has perfection and. With these voyeuristic, crappy magazines out there, everybody's looking like, "Oh my God, look what she's wearing and where she's going, and he's doing this." And it's not like that at all. Yeah. You know, I, I really, really feel sorry for Megan and Harry, for example, because I genuinely believe that's a true love story. Mm. And I just think the the cruelty like of it all, of, of it all it's like, you know, he, first of all, he has his mum taken away from him mm. by um, the media. Uh, harassment and then they're now harassing his wife you know and it's like can you not just give him a break Mm. and and, and he's so strong that he stood by his wife and stepped down I would have done it quietly if it's such Mm. a thing but I just think you know that people have no idea what that kind of pressure is you know I've lived on the streets way easier than Mm. being put in that golden cage way easier freedom you know yeah. Freezing, bloody cold, but you're free and in in a golden cage, you're not free, and having yeah. been from one extreme to the other, I know where I'd rather be yeah. you know in the middle is the best, yeah, you know Definitely. work for someone, go home, have a life, love your family, <laughs> don't start your own business, you've got no life twenty four days twenty four hours, seven days a week.
0: see <laughs> so were there moments where it all became a bit too much? Was there ever like Really what you've only been
1: through. only once, and it happened to be on t v um no, no, no. whereas um Fiona Phillips was interviewing me on g m t v and it would been years and years we'd been contained in the house um where we couldn't leave um with my three year old for, for years together at all. We had to go in the back of vans and this and that oh, wow. and then they made up this story saying um what was it, Heather Kills a Dog, where well, you can imagine being the biggest animal lover ever. Oh, no. So, and they just made it up. And so I happened to have an interview the next day, so I did a, a thing about boycotting lying newspapers and how the size of the apology mm-hmm. should be the size of the original lie and yeah. that, that legislation should happen like that. But most people don't know that legislation is run by the newspapers themselves, so there's no... Where you get freedom of press... You get freedom of they can also legislate themselves as well, mm. which is why I Hacked off, tried to create the Leveson 2 inquiry to create real legislation for the for newspapers. So um, so, yeah, we basically um, had to hide away all the time, which uh-huh. was completely nuts. And that was the moment where you thought that was too much going on for you. And I I literally said to Fiona, like, I can't believe the public is so stupid, you know. uh, How can they believe this rubbish? And that was in the days where people did, you know. They'd they'd Mm. read a newspaper and go, "Oh, you know what she said, ooh. (laughs) And you're like, oh, my God, where are these people's brains? I imagine they still do that these days. (laughs) Well, people without a brain do it, but but anybody that's um, got... A brain doesn't because they're too busy to get on with their own lives if someone says to me oh did you hear about such and such I went hear about it I haven't even got time to brush my teeth why would (laughs) I be interested to sit and gossip about something else and it's usually people that have no life of their own and aren't making a difference yeah because if you truly are happy with yourself you don't sit gossiping about other people yeah it's true
0: so what's been your proudest moment would you say
1: Apart from having my child, who's now 16, (gasps) 16? um, after losing so many kids. (laughs) And the doctor said it must have happened because you've been vegan for 18 years between losing the first and having. And now apparently I can have five or six, but I'm 52 and I'm I'm crossing my legs, so to speak. (laughs) Um, Apart from that, probably creating the biggest landmine clearing charity in the world and now Mm -hmm. the biggest plant-based vegan company. And having the same friends now that I had when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, and maintaining my friendships because if you don't enjoy the road with your mates, then what have you achieved? It's very lonely.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise,
1: isn't it? No, that's true.
0: So tell me a little bit about Dancing on Ice because you were on that.
1: Dancing on Ice I did for charity in 2010. Yeah. I'd already done Dancing with the Stars in America in 2007 for charity. Uh And uh, that was great fun. So if you imagine dancing on ice is light dancing with the stars or Strictly Come Dancing, you yeah. call it here. Um, but 50 million times harder.
0: Yeah, I know. So
1: every movement you make, you fall flat on your face. And I'd never ice skated before. And with your
0: prosthetic limbs. That's well,
1: not. Well, yeah. apparently no one had ever done it. And I thought, that that's ridiculous. Yeah. So I Googled it because normally you can Google somebody that's done something you yeah know, like i said i googled snowboarding once and there were amputee snowboarders so that yeah. was fine when i had to learn that for a show and um and i googled it and this lady's name came up and she was the ex gold medalist in able-bodied um ice skating mm-hmm. who'd happened to had a boat accident with her kid and they'd lost their leg and i thought oh well, she's been an Olympic, like a Torvaldine level, and now she's lost a leg. She must be the only person that can ice skate. So I managed to get hold of her, and I said, I'm doing this charity show, Dancing on Ice. It's not a charity show. i I <laughs> the only one that gave the money to charity, but the actual show. And she said, oh, no, you can't ice skate. It's impossible with one leg. And I went, well, no, you were a professional. She went, yeah, exactly, and I've tried it. You can't do it. It's yeah. impossible. And I went, no. She went, yeah, if you're going to do it competitive, no way. So that made me determined. I was like, right. So I worked with the prosthetic limb center and developed a leg that basically was finite on on, on, on balance, but still very difficult. And I broke ribs and all sorts of yeah, stuff. Yeah, balance
0: must be totally off. Totally off. To it, yeah. um, uh,
1: but I did it. Mm. And um, I actually popped by and saw Matt in the recent show, who was my dance partner, uh-huh. um, two months ago. Okay. and and had a chat and um, you know it's evolved so much that his dance partner was another guy which was really cool
0: yeah
1: Um. Yeah. so yeah that was really really good and it's again challenging people's perceptions of disability mm. and showing people that if I can do it with one leg you can do it with two it's purely yeah. in the mind and it's always about your core every single exercise you do in your life get your core solid mm. and the rest is easy
0: yeah, it's true. And also, I've read somewhere that you're doing um, Paralympic skiing. Skiing. Is I that have right? the world
1: record in speed skiing, Did which you? was an accident as well. So, <laughs> so I skied a bit before the war started. Obviously, I went on holiday with the husband at the time's ex-wife and kids. Learned to ski. Fell in yeah. love with skiing, and that's how I ended up going out and living in the then Yugoslavia. Mm. And then, when I got married. Um, my ex-husband didn't like it that I skied better than him. So we we went once and then never went again. Yeah. Uh, so I didn't ski for 10 years. And then when I got divorced, Ruth said, after dancing on ice, she said, uh, oh, you've been asked to go and do some skiing and promote a ski resort in Austria. And I said, I've just come out of a fridge box on dancing on ice. I don't want to go skiing. So she's like, oh, please, yes. And I hadn't been to Austria for years. I used to drive the trucks through there from Yugoslavia and back. So I said, "Okay, let's go. And then the Icelandic volcano went off. So we got stuck on the mountain and in that area for a week. And I really learned to ski fast. Uh Then I got told I should be a Paralympic ski racer. And I was 42 at the time. Right. And and I said, I'm a bit old uh, to start that. And Ruth went, no, you can do it. And then I eventually got on the British team and I won four gold medals and a silver two oh in my downhill goodness. yeah that's two,
0: amazing two how in, recent
1: was that that was when I was forty seven so <laughs> it was wow. five years ago yeah cool. and then I basically did the world speed record in bars against all the guys at one hundred and sixty six kilometers uh, mm-hmm. I still hold that record, but because vegan went crazy. A few years ago, I had to give up ski racing and go full-time back into my factories because my factories I've had for years mm. and my um, family were running them. And then I saw competition that we'd never had. Nowhere. Back at home, are they? You're back here, yeah. Yeah. So I then said, okay, I've got to go back to 24-7 work again. Because before I was ski racing in the morning, you start at 4 a.m. Um, and as soon as the light comes up, you start racing at 6 training because the slopes open at like nine for the normal public so when Mm. you're doing downhill you've got to do it very early and then you're finished by 11 so you can go back to work yeah so uh, if you're an athlete you get a massage and you rest but if you're a businesswoman you've got to go back to work I even managed to create multitasking by getting those gloves that you can touch your screen with Mm
0: -hmm. and I would
1: do 10 emails on the way up the chairlift before we jump back in the gates again so that I wouldn't have too many when I got home Oh, wow. So, no, that was fun. Yeah, love cause... love sport. It's what's kept me sane, I would say. Yeah. Find yeah. a passion, whether it's art, sport, anything. And um, something you can get your head out of, you know, when things are too busy. Yeah, definitely. So what are your plans for the future? Carrying on scaling the plant-based mm-hmm. business and yeah. then selling it in the future mm-hmm. and then traveling the world with a rucksack and giving money away. Uh, Because I don't want to die on a bed of paper. (laughs) Okay, so what
0: would you say would be the best bit of advice you could give to someone who's listening to this podcast to help them along their way, or maybe in their own longest battle?
1: Just know that it will get better. You can be in the darkest moments, and I've counseled a lot of people in this situation, and it will change. You have to hang on in there, and you have to communicate. You have to find who your best friend is, Whether it's a therapist, I didn't have a therapist because I had a bad experience with one who said, you'll never be attractive to men again before. And I looked at this woman and was like, well, I'm two arms and two legs missing, honey. I'd still be more attractive than you. (laughs) So let's move on. So I just think really dig deep and find a passion. Find something you love. If you're not happy in your job, don't try and live up to the Joneses and overextend yourself, you know. I live in a little two-bedroom flat. People are shocked. Once I lived in a big house because I was, um, you know, in a different environment. and But I never liked it. I still go back to my grassroots. Yeah. But all that happens is you get bigger houses, bigger cars. You get more stress, more pressure to earn money, more, 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 more. And it becomes a pain. So just do what's true to you. Mm. and um and don't feel like you've got to prove yourself yeah. in, in any way other than to yourself not mm. to anybody else so just be really true to yourself and spend time on yourself and get rid of the vampires yeah. there are so many wasters and vampires around put a bubble around yourself know who you can trust yeah. and look after yourself
0: Thank you so much. So, so every podcast, um, I do something called the weekly gripe. It's something that's something that's bugging you at the moment, or uh, well, me at the moment. So basically, this week, I'm talking about the price of fame. We've talked about that a lot today. But um, I just thought, like, Caroline, Caroline Flack, she just yeah. committed suicide because of the price of fame. Not just that, but there are things going on. It must be so stressful in that field. What do you think about this in in
1: the grand scheme of life? Well, I mean, when I heard what had happened to her, you know, it, it, people can say, oh, you know, the press will say, oh, she obviously had issues, but the bullying can create issues that you never had. It's called what you call a situational depression. So if mm. that person's never necessarily been a depressed person throughout their life, then you can get situational depression. And, and, and having been one of the most harassed and bullied people in the history of the UK as a woman yeah. uh, in one of the top five with, with other people. I I know exactly how she felt and what she went through. And I'm just very sad that she mm. didn't have the ability and be able to speak to anyone around her to, to get through that. So I just think if people could just start being kind, mm. stop bullying, don't buy malicious gossip magazines and newspapers because you are feeding it you personally are feeding that to happen yeah so just don't do it go and do something positive with your life
0: yeah be kind kind Be kind. Yeah. and
1: and if you're angry and mm-hmm. judgmental have a look at why are you like that mm-hmm. why are you so unhappy with yourself that you're gossipy and bitchy you know what's not right in your life yeah. because when you're truly happy you just want everyone else to be happy around you mm. and if someone's nasty to you just wipe them out of your life yeah, it's very sad but that's very just sad where,
0: where we're at isn't it so I finished the podcast with a quote um something um, on here I actually can't read very well would you but can you read have you got, as yeah, you've got glasses got could you read time. it's just like a little bit of a quote here
1: um from Dr.
0: Zeus could you read what that says please
1: when something bad happens you have three choices. You can either let it define you, let it destroy you, or you can let it strengthen you.
2: you? I think
1: it's exactly what we've been talking about. You know, Dig deep when something horrific happens and know that if you do, that scar tissue will be stronger than everything else around you. And when you reflect on it, you can be proud that you managed to overcome Mm it. It's very difficult to do. And I think in the case of anybody that's suffering abuse like, you know, the recent situations that we hear, and mm. Caroline Flack, and they're doing it to Prince Harry, and, and and but people have it in their everyday lives, and schools, and homes, and everything. Yeah. And um, and I always just say monuments were never built for the critics, only the criticised. Yeah. Well, thank you so no, much for coming all.
0: along to the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really, really
1: appreciate it. And Lovely to see you and yeah, say hi to your dad. I will too. All thank the best. You. Bye.
0: For listening to the longest battle podcast, Survivor's Stories. I hope you've enjoyed it. My goodness, it's been quite a long process for me. Um, it's probably taken me over two years to produce these podcasts, which have been a challenge. It's been something that I feel quite, I'm quite happy with it so I feel like I've achieved a lot um I think from the day when I actually started going to um the old street studios at Acast it was so like it was really even hard to get there and I think you know it's definitely Acast have been part of my journey to getting better, which has been fantastic. So I started um, initially working for ACAST um, as a, on a voluntary basis um, to try to to help me along the way. And so then they, uh, they asked me to do my own podcast series, which has definitely helped. And I can't believe that I've done a series of 12 podcasts now. Um, it's been... It's been a battle in itself, um, it's, but it's you know it's taken it's it's taken a, a long time. So my brain injury was very random, uh, but yeah, the brain injuries meant that I I'm partially sighted and I can't. Um, my I have massive dyslexia, but it means that I'm able to chat to people quite well, which is good. So yeah, I've definitely i'd love to thank acast for all their support and all their equipment and everything like that and coming to the studio which has been great so acast have been absolutely brilliant um and then all the people that have done these podcasts for free so um all my my celebrity people that i've met along the way um have definitely been a a great well to do stuff for free which is fantastic um and you know the longest battle for it it could happen to anyone at any point so life sometimes just throws a curveball at you um and you just don't really know when it comes along but hopefully you've just kind of got get on with it and kind of do your best really oh I've met some brilliant people my um I met a mad dog McGuinness who from the Pogues who was just brilliant he was one of my favourites if you're allowed favourites in a series of podcasts Um, but he was brilliant because he was in hospital uh, in the Royal London Hospital pretty much at the same time as me and we've had similar we've both got brain injuries we both have um, those kind of things that we can't really remember stuff all the time so he was one of those kind of podcast that's definitely memorable and he's definitely a good friend now he's um he's part of my one of the charities that i go to called the silver lining and that's how i how i got in touch with him anyway um but he's been brilliant and so so nice and so inspiring he's been brilliant i loved meeting mariam Dabo, who's fantastic and a, a a great um very famous bond girl which was great i'm so pleased that she managed to do it and also there was a lady who crossed the um oceans <laughs> she was amazing, so I guess from the first podcast that i I made um which was quite scary um it was. And but lovely Josie uh did it with me. It was fantastic. She was my first one. And then the second one was Trisha. Oh my goodness, I used to work with Trisha um back in the day. And yeah, she kindly of to do came from Connecticut. She now lives in America. And she decided she'd come along to do my podcast, which is uh pretty impressive. Thanks so much for everyone to doing all this for free like literally all my friends and all my my family everyone's been helping um it's been a a huge mammoth effort from everyone um and for doing things for free and their time and money so yeah i really really appreciate it thank you so so much thank you all these amazing people have been through so much and come out the other side it's pretty incredible So that was The Longest Battle podcast. And thank you so much. And here's to hopefully, maybe in the future, another series or something. But thank you so much for listening. And please pass it on to anyone else who might be interested and spread the word of The Longest Battle podcast. My name's Emma Martins, and this was The Longest Battle podcast. Thanks for listening.
2: Thanks so much for listening to Emma's podcast. She's been through a hell of a lot over the past few years and listening to this makes all of her friends realise just what an inspiration she is. The Silver Lining charity has helped Emma immeasurably, enabling her to meet lots of other people with brain injuries. The charity is currently raising money for a goodwill silver lining mission to India – just one project that will help those affected by brain injury to get involved in exciting and purposeful activities in the community. Activities that go a long way to invigorate, motivate and rehabilitate. The charity also helps family members and friends who are often overlooked. If you've enjoyed listening and would like to donate to The Silver Lining Brain Injury, now's your chance. Visit www.thesilverlining.org .uk thank you